0: Hey everybody, Sam Mellinger here, sports columnist with the Kansas City Star, and I am grateful for you listening to the 57th episode of the Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears podcast. The goal this week, uh, the goal every week, uh, to be worth your time. This week we're going to do it with a point about the biggest development of the Royal season so far. Questions about the Royals and Chiefs and something that just absolutely drives me crazy. And, and then the last section, the bonus section, is going to be audio from a conversation with Royals catcher and future statue. Salvador Perez. Okay, let's get right to it. We're going to talk about Adiberto Mondesi here at the top, and I can hear some of you rolling your eyes right now, right? And, and I get it. You've heard a lot of talk about how this guy, you know, MVP talent, going to be a superstar, and instead what you've seen is a guy who had like a really good half season in 2018 and perhaps like the best player in baseball last September, guys, but otherwise a really fast and physically gifted player who doesn't really produce and gets hurt a lot. Um, he has not played more than 102 non-rehab games in a season since 2014 when he was 18 years old. But I want to make three points about Mondesi that I hope you listen to and I hope you use if your friends are talking the, the usual talking points about him. Because one of the things I really want with this podcast is for you guys to feel like it makes you smarter, right? That it makes it easier and more interesting to follow your teams. Um, okay, so the, the the first point here is like, sure, like let's assume that 25 years old and fewer than 1,200 plate appearances into a big league career. Like, he is done improving. Let's just assume he'll never get any better, you know, never get smarter, never make any of the adjustments guys make in, in this game, like, well into the 30s, right? Like, what we've seen in the last four years is all he'll ever be, okay? Let's assume that. What does that player look like? Would you believe that since 2018, Montessi is 13th in OPS among all big league shortstops? 13th. Uh, Top half, you know, among others, that's higher than Dansby Swanson, who's the number one overall pick in the 2015 draft. Um, You know, if this is all Mondesi is, then what we have is like one of the game's fastest players, uh, a switch hitting shortstop who's effective on both sides of the plate. uh, One of the league's uh, best base dealers, very good defender at a premium position And essentially a league average hitter is adjusted OPS last four seasons is 96. Uh, Essentially a league average hitter with a streaky side that can drive you crazy, but can also carry your team for like a week or a month. That's pretty dang good, right? So he gets hurt all the time. I hear you. And this is the absolute biggest problem with him, the biggest thing going against him, the biggest thing holding back his impact. But And and I know I've made this point before, but the second point I want to make right now is – At the same age that Mondesi is right now, Alex Gordon was still a guy everybody thought got hurt too much. And he was a bust, you know, and yada, yada, yada. Guys like, you know, Mike Trout, Fernando Tatis, Vlad Guerrero Jr., like, those guys, like, sort of ruin it for everybody else. Um, they kind of cover up reality because, you know, baseball players don't develop in straight lines. Uh, Mike Mustakas was demoted at 25 uh, and called a bust at 25. Lorenzo Cain had 49 games in the big leagues when he was 25. And I- I'm not telling you, I'm not here saying, like, Mondesi's going to have the career of Gordon or Cain or whatever. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Uh, but I'm telling you that because – He debuted so young and because we we've been hearing about him for so long it can just be easy to forget that he's still like solidly in this part of his career where he's not done yet developing um you know especially when you consider all the time he's missed because he doesn't need to be like carlos santana with the plate discipline right like honestly like even if he just gets like salvador perez plate discipline um that would be a big step and potentially unlock something um okay the third point i want to make is like (laughs) sort of I know this sounds weird but like equal parts like obvious and often missed Um, and and this is like just what I'm saying here is like how much better the Royals are with Mondesi in the lineup and and it's not just the physical gifts we all see that but it's the way he fits he just makes them a lot better overall like Nicky Lopez you know (laughs) bless his heart Uh, he was put in a tough situation and has done the absolute best he can and he might still become a solid everyday second baseman but as a big-league shortstop, he is just overmatched. And, you know, Modesty's health means the Royals go from one of the game's worst defensive shortstops to one of the best. Um, he also gives them an elephant... Uh, elephant? <laughs> so, man, i leave that in there. Uh, made me laugh. Um, he also gives them an element um, that they otherwise lack, right? Because nobody else on this team has what he has, you know? At, at least not until, like, Bobby Witt Jr. actually does turn into, like, the 1996 version of Alex Rodriguez or whatever, but, um, you know, you, you know how in football they talk about playmakers, right, like, talk about guys who, you know, maybe don't cross all the T's all the time on second and nine, but a time or two a game, they'll make a play that changes everything on third and long. Uh, Mondesi is, like, the baseball version of that. Um, you know, he, he can be having a miserable game at the plate and then you know maybe a lousy blooper drops or you know like an infield grounder turns into a single or maybe you know his speed forces the other side shortstop into an air or whatever and and he can he can beat a third base two pitches later and and he can score on a pop fly that the outfielder has to come in on so you know he has this like sort of talent that can break the game um uh, you know that can stretch what's possible Uh, He can steal a game or two a season just on those sorts of freakish plays, and that's a hell of a weapon to have, you know. And again, none of this has to do with plate discipline or or becoming a better hitter. Um, I hope I'm making sense here. Uh, I hope you agree. I'm not overselling the guy. The MVP ceiling is almost certainly gone, but you know everything that we've seen, if we can separate it from the expectations, I think that's important because it's I think a lot of times we just judge against expectations. But everything we've seen is a guy who can be a valuable part of a championship team. He just has to stay healthy. And if that's your criticism criticism of modesty, then that is not just fair but correct, right? Uh, you know he's had some bad luck, but he also needs to take better care. Of himself than other guys do. He's, he's just, he's got to be able to play through some things that maybe he doesn't think he can. Uh, and I also think part of the frustration with the injuries, you know, conscious or otherwise, um, part of that frustration is that we know how good he can be and, and how important he is for this team. So, um, you know, because like nobody's really frustrated about Jesse Hahn's injuries, you know what I mean? But Mondesi's injuries drive us crazy. Um, and, and it's because we know how good he can be and how much better he makes the Royals. I'm just telling you, if they can get. The rest of the way, if they can get like 100, 110 games out of him, um, you know, even if he's no better of a hitter than what we've seen across these last four seasons, then we're going to see a bunch of ways where he helps the Royals be a better team. Okay, uh, before we move on to the rest of the show, that early spiel that I used to do at the top, uh, that's gone because this one here at the bottom of the first section is longer. Uh, And this is where I make my ask. Three asks, and as always, we're still cool if you only do two or one or even zero, Um, but Doesn't hurt to try, right? Uh, The first, please support us. Uh, Give the Sports Pass a try. A dollar a month for the first three months or $30 for a year. Just reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, email, whatever, and I'll send them to you. The second, please rate and review this show. I'm a bad podcaster. Uh, It it took me a year to ask you for that. Um, Every week when I talk about this, I think about (laughs) how Therese would just crush me for not doing this basic thing of just asking you to uh, review, rate. Uh, five-star rating, please, please do that. And then Savannah and I appreciate all the love you've given us already, but I'm just saying, if you haven't done that already, please give us a rating and review. Uh, It really helps us get the word out. Five stars only help us out. Uh, The third thing I'm going to ask, if you want to participate in next week's show, uh, please call 816-234-4365. Leave your first name where you're calling from, and almost literally any question. Put the number in your phone call anytime, 816-234-4365, or as the great reader Michael points out, 816-BEG-IDLE. All right, guys, uh, I know I'm asking a lot here, but that's how it's going to be. Subscribe to the port- Sports Pass, give the podcast a five-star rating and review, and call in with questions. I'm greedy, but that's the way it is. Quick break, and then we are back with the questions.
1: Hi, Sam. This is Bill calling from Bozeman, Montana. And as I watch the Royals day after day, I've become really impressed with uh, Cam Gallagher's defense behind the plate, almost to the point of infatuation, where he is really playing well defensively, particularly blocking the ball and
2: uh, pitch framing. So I'd like to know your thoughts, and I'd like to know your thoughts on how good this defense can be when the uh, reconfiguration comes when uh, Mondesi rejoins the lineup. Thanks. Love your work. Love the uh, podcast. Appreciate it. Bye.
0: Yeah. Well, first, Bill, uh, appreciate the kind words here. Um, You make a smart point. Uh, You know, Cam hasn't shown himself to be much of a hitter, right? Uh, But he's going to play in the big leagues for a long time uh, based on exactly what you're talking about here. He is uh, you know, a diligent student before games, even when he's not in the lineup, you know, learning the the opposing hitters, his own pitchers. He's sort of that like throwback catcher in a way, you know, the guy like he'll put his own pitchers like way above his own hitting. And this is a small thing. And maybe people like me make too big of a deal out of stuff like this. But you hardly ever see him argue balls and strikes when he's hitting. You know what I mean? Um, not even those subtle looks. And, and I believe that's he truly sees his work there is secondary and he doesn't want to like dent that relationship that he has with the umpire and like i don't know this for sure so take it for what it's worth but like i'd be shocked if he didn't argue balls and strikes for his pitcher way more than he does as a hitter um you know defensive it's kind of hard to measure right like fangrass has him at plus 11 defensive runs saved over 120 career games and that's really good but i have to be honest like catcher and first base are two positions that i think are just the hardest to judge with metrics like that. Like, I, I think it matters much more that, you know, baseball Savant's data ranks him 10th overall in pitch framing, um, you know, even with limited time back there. Um, and I, I think that, you know, having just three past balls and 26 wild pitches allowed in his career, I think that says something. Uh, his arm isn't great. He's thrown out, you know, 18% of base dealers in his career. But, you know, base stealing that's really done off the pitcher a lot more than it is the catcher. So, you know, Cam really is like kind of the ideal backup catcher. And I say that and it's like sort of a backhanded compliment, right? But uh, I don't mean it that way. I just mean like he's a guy that does a lot of little things that help a team win. and And he does them whether he's in the lineup or not. Um, you know, Bill called into this question uh, a week or two ago, but I thought this was a good time to use it because he mentions what the defense might look like when Mondesi returns. And I tend to think of it even a little bit broader and think about what this defense could look like pretty soon. Um, you know, you think about like Benintendi, Taylor, and Dozier across the outfield. I think that gives you like plus defense in left, plus plus in center, and probably about average defense in right. Um, and then I think about Bobby Wood Jr. at third. Mondesi at short, Maryfield at second, and Carlos Santana at first. And that's plus-plus at short. You know, the potential for plus-plus at third, I mean, like, you know, the tools are there, but, you know, let's see how it plays out. Cool. And then, you know, average to above average at second and first. And, you know, you have a good defensive catcher either way. Like Gallagher is better overall than Perez, but I don't know how many people are ready to have that conversation. Uh, but, you know, all of a sudden, like a team that struggled more than it should defensively is now at least average at every position and and excellent at the three most important positions, center, short, and catcher. So, you know, now, now you get to that point. Now you're winning some games with defense, you know. Uh, you're making your pitching better. Uh, you're getting a lot of things going, and you know that's how the Royals have to start to get this whole thing going and get continue to bury that 11 game losing streak and and, and push their way up the stands. If it's going to happen, that's how it's going to happen. Okay, uh, let's go to Keith. Hi,
1: Sam. Keith from Oregon. Um, recently, I was listening to you on the Border Patrol talking about Tim Grunhard. And it's something that I've been thinking about, and you, you've talked about this in your podcast before, that we really don't know the players. And I know today's society, many times PR teams and public-facing teams, you know, present an idea of what a player should be or what they think the community would want. As I've gotten older, I found myself wanting to root more and more for a person as much as the player. And even as, as someone who still collects sports cards, I, I find I want my collection to be, as much as I can, people not only that um, were good on the field, but maybe off the field. So my question to you is this, is there any players from any of our local teams or or even teams outside of our local area that you'd like to highlight or talk about that really maybe didn't get the recognition they have deserved or uh, um, from their work from in the community or in the area or just them as a a person? So just curious what your thoughts are if you wanted to share some examples of some, some players that it really hit some of those marks of, of being a good person off the field. Thanks.
0: Yeah. So um, Keith called this in a few a few weeks back, and um, you know I've been saving it for the right moment, and, and I think here we have it. I, I should say first, the, the first person I think of when this type of thing comes up is Alex Smith. Um, just a really impressive human and you know even like let's just forget about the comeback that that, that's kind of what everybody talks about with him these days but i'm just talking about like the way he treats people um the way he sees his place in the world you know with both like humility and ambition both i mean it's 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 a really interesting mix like that foundation he set up to help foster kids transition into adulthood. And and he did that, not just like despite the fact that he had a sort of ideal childhood, you know, like the polar opposite of foster kids, but he did that because he had that type of childhood. You know, I just think that says a lot about a guy. Um, I also think of Eric Berry. um, You know, he partnered early and deeply with Big Brothers Big Sisters and, you know, did a lot of stuff that he never wanted people to know about. Um, I think about Lorenzo Cain, um, you know, like the rare athlete, like with superstar ability, but like a fourth outfielder's ego. Um, there's a lot. I think about Matt Beasler, Timelia, Roger Espinosa. Um, you know, so you're right. Like, he, and I, I, it's a good point. I, I try to make it a lot, and I hope people remember it. Like, we don't know any of these people. You know, we don't know them in the real sense, the way that you, that you know a friend. You know what I mean? But I, I'm more thinking about athletes who I've seen, like, interact with people who can give them nothing. And, and seeing how they handle those moments and how they treat people. I think that stuff's important. And the reason I thought this was a good week to use this question is because, like, this week, operate facility that will help teach underprivileged kids science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, the building was the first purchase made by Travis Kelsey through like an and operation breakthrough by the way if you don't know is an absolute jewel of kansas city um he spent time there he's built relationships there he's really like helped a place that does a lot of great work in kansas city and he, he is a super bowl champion he'll be a hall of famer one of the best to ever do it at his position and i know it's corny to say stuff like this but i guess i'm corny and i believe it in my soul like ta- kelsey is like tangibly helping to change lives for the better here and that is more important than anything that he does on sundays So, um, okay, I wanted to get that out of the way because now we're going to talk about something that makes me a lot less happy. Um, Apologies in advance.
3: Hey, Sam, my name's Ethan, and I'm calling out of Los Angeles. I'm curious, you posted on Twitter uh, about Sportico announcing that the AP Press will now exclusively cite gambling odds provided by FanDuel, Um, and, you know, by your tweet, it seems you're a little concerned by that. So i just love to hear your thoughts on, you know, what kind of slippery slope that might be and why that could be problematic. Thanks.
0: Um, Okay, so guys, like Ethan mentioned it, but like, let's just kind of set the scene here. Um, The Associated Press will now exclusively cite gambling odds and information done by FanDuel. Um, The deal basically is pretty clear, right? The AP gets some cash. uh, FanDuel gets a whole lot of exposure and credibility. And I cannot emphasize this enough. I hate this. I hate this in a place deep within my soul, uh, and I hate it with the power of a thousand suns. Um, I find this infuriating and sad. I wonder if I'm a sucker for caring. Um, You know, let me be clear about something. Like, I do not care about the specifics of this deal. I find gambling odds to be interesting, uh, occasionally telling. Um, I I think a consensus of the major Vegas sports books might be a better place to go for information like this But if a news outlet wants to have like some consistency sure whatever I really don't care about that What I do care about deeply is how news outlets do business I care about the impartiality and diverse sourcing and more than anything else I care about putting readers and listeners and viewers like consumers I care about putting their best interests first and this is ain't that like, again, I I, I do not care about the specifics. Um, I'd even tell you that if it was guaranteed or even probable that this is as far as it goes, then my view of this would be way different, but we know that's not what's happening here. You know, we know that no matter the scale, the associate, the, the freaking associated press, the AP is literally selling its sourcing. It's selling its credibility. It's selling journalistic judgment. Uh, It's turning the most important thing they have into a gimmick, you know, into sponsored content. I care deeply about that. Um, You know, one more time, like this is sports gambling, so like democracy is not in danger here, but you don't have to be very creative to think of reasons that starting to push this boulder down the hill is a destructive idea. Because like if if FanDuel, Is paying for the right to be cited in AP stories. Like, what's the next business that will buy that privilege? You know, what if Amazon pays for Whole Foods to have some exclusivity in stories about grocery stores or food prices? Like, what if the Department of Education had a deal to influence education reporting? Like, maybe, you know, all technology reporting is now sponsored by Google or Facebook or whatever. Like, maybe, you know, some left or right wing. Think tank can like secure enough funding for a partnership on political coverage. Like I'm, I'm trying to like choose my words carefully here and not overact or overreact, and I don't want to fall into this thing that seems to be what you're supposed to do these days. You know, where like you use words that you know are like overly dramatic, but you say them like they're just plainly descriptive. Um, so let me just say that I see this as direct opposition to what the relationship between media outlet and consumer is supposed to be, like. We're supposed to cite the best sources we can find, you know, and to give you the best information possible. We're not supposed to sell that sourcing, you know, making you the mark. Um, And this is way different than selling ads. This is different than, you know, having a sponsor for a podcast. This is different than those video ads that sometimes play annoyingly when you click on something. This is like selling the actual content and the credibility of the stories to a bidder. Like, you know, maybe you think I'm chicken little over here, you know, making too much out of a relatively benign agreement. And again, if this is where it ends, I'll be annoyed, but at least have some confidence that no harm is done, like no real harm. Um, You know, I've I've been in this business 20 years, you know, I, I understand that deals are made, like spoken and otherwise, and that certain interests, you know, whether that's Political business or somebody in sports, whatever, um, you know these people like angle for varying levels of success for you know more or positive you know coverage. Uh, that that's been happening for years, but that's all part of the game, you know. And that's not this. This is the Associated freaking Press literally selling its content and sourcing to a bidder and. Honestly, I I can't think of many statements that go more against what I believe journalism should be about. I I hate it, guys. It's just from the deepest part of my soul, I hate this. I I, I hate this so much that I have to follow this with what I believe is the absolute greatest question ever submitted in the proud history of this podcast. Um, Grab a tissue, you guys. Um, This one gets emotional, (laughs) or at least for me. God, this is good. Okay. Hi, Sam. This is
3: Bryce from Kansas City, Missouri. I took my family to the Royals game on Sunday, and we're normally a Dippin' Dots and Cotton Candy family. But my seven-year-old daughter spotted helmet nachos. After some begging, my wife took her up and bought some food with my credit card. Turns out she's a fan. The rest of us tried some, but none of us really liked them. After the game ended and she wasn't finished with them, I told her she could just dump them out and keep the helmet. But I got, like, this icy stare, like I had just ripped up her favorite stuffed animal in front of her eyes. She loved them so much she carried a helmet full of nachos out to our car. She then proceeded to continue eating them on the ride home and finished the last wet, soggy mess for dinner that night. Then she took a bath wearing the helmet nachos helmet then she made me go out in the driveway and do soft toss with her while wearing the Helmet Nachos helmet again. So, Sam, again, I've heard your uh, well documented affinity for Helmet Nachos, and I'm just wondering from a non believer's perspective, what makes them so special? I don't get it, but I hope to understand for her sake. Thanks, man. Bye.
0: How great is that? (laughs) Right? Like, it's just beautiful. Uh, The first time I heard this, um, I probably shouldn't admit this out loud, but I got like, (laughs) I really shouldn't. Oh, what the hell? I'll just tell you the truth. I got like actual tears in my eyes from laughing. Like, this is just incredible. Like, I, I love those things those nachos i i love them more than like the cdc would recommend or whatever right but um even i understand there's like the statue of limitations on on nachos you know you need to eat them fairly fast or you just cut your losses at some point uh so all the respect in the world to this little girl for like love of the game you know like (laughs) she's a gamer uh i'm just i'm in awe Uh, The whole thing, like the soggy leftover chips for dinner would have been a fine punchline. And then you got the bath and then the soft toss, and it's all just overwhelming. Um, Absolutely incredible. Uh, This little girl is going to take over the world someday. Like you did ask a question here, Bryce, and and I don't know that I can explain it really. Like the nachos are good, but if we're honest, like the chips could be better. You know, Um, they could use more jalapenos for my taste, uh, more queso, pico, something, but like they're different. They're terrific, and there's something pretty dang great about eating nachos out of an actual helmet. And I'm probably aging myself here, but if you went to baseball games like in the '80s or '90s, and I don't know, maybe the '2000s, but anyway, definitely the '80s and '90s, they, they used to serve like the ice cream in, the, in those you know tiny helmets. And my goodness, I was obsessed with those things. And I don't even know that I really loved ice cream, to tell you the truth, but I, I just thought having different helmets was so cool. And my dad did not like to spend money on frivolous stuff, so this put him in a bit of a bind because the old man loved how much I loved baseball, but he hated spending $6 a pop or whatever it was, um, just so I could have like a sugar rush that I didn't really need, right? So um, just to get this miniature helmet that serves no functional purpose whatsoever. and. I might be making this up. Um, I wouldn't swear to it, but I have this like vague memory at least of him trying to just like bypass this whole thing because he figured out that it would be cheap. Like I was not going to stop asking for these helmets and we were not going to stop going to Royals games. And I think at some point he figured it would be cheaper to just buy a complete set of those tiny helmets rather than like get hit up for ice cream every time we went to a game. So um, anyway, uh, apologies for the tangent. Bryce, uh, your daughter is a star. Um, She has terrific taste in both nachos and baseball paraphernalia, and she's going to make the world a better place someday. Um, And she just – maybe she just started by saving the segment of this podcast. Um, Okay, uh, that's all the questions we have. Uh, We're going to do one more break, and then we are back with Salvador Perez. Okay, so there's a column on the website right now on Salvador Perez, and he has stuck out to me all season, this season, even more than most, and for a lot of reasons. One is probably obvious, um, you know, even, you know, the Royals are brought back like Wade Davis and Greg Holland and Gerard Dyson, you know, Danny Duffy's still around, um, Alcides is in the minor leagues, but really like Sal Perez is the only guy left from that 2015 team who is still doing the same job, you know, same job, same role, same level as he was before. And it's pretty remarkable, you know, like Sal and, you know, most of the front office, um, you know, it's uh, Sal, the front office and like Rusty Koontz. And that's it. You know, um, those those are the only guys still doing the same job. And and even Rusty, like, has retired like eight times since 2015. Uh, But the other wild thing about Sal is that and and look, I know small sample size warnings, you know, can be had here. But uh, this is pretty remarkable. His two best offensive seasons have come in his 30s. And that's come in his 30s after his 20s ended with season squashing reconstructive elbow surgery. Again, like small sample, you know, 37 games last year and fewer than 50 so far this year. But these are the highest adjusted OPSs he's had, you know, since a 39-game you know, run after he was called up as a rookie in 2011. And so, anyway, I was able to talk to Sal over the phone from the clubhouse this week, and um, you know, my first question was sort of blunt. Like, you know, we're gonna play this audio, and I should say right here in advance, you might have to listen a little closer to Salvi than than you're used to. Like, he has a thick accent, but there's also there's something about his voice. It's like really deep, like almost gravelly. Like for whatever reason, um, his voice doesn't always come clear in recordings. But anyway, I, I just thought this was a good conversation, so I wanted to share a few clips with you. So Savannah, let's just roll. You know, ro- roll the question and right into uh, to Salvi's answer
3: here this is kind of a weird thing to ask maybe but um you're in your 30s and you're having your best seasons um offensively at least like that's not the way it usually
2: goes you know what i mean like what do you how do you explain that you know it's i know a little bit more the the lead uh, that's a great question uh Try to figure. out, You know, work in my in my work thing like as a player. I'm super aggressive, and everybody knows that I like to sing. I don't get a lot of work, so try to be patient a little bit more. Try to learn down, You know, the way they teach me, the technology, the other number we have right now, the studies and all that. So I think it's made me a little bit better. You know, I am still aggressive. I'm not gonna take that from me, but you know, in some count specific count, they will know it's 80 percent or 85 87
0: percent ball i don't have to swing so thing like that okay now like be honest like did you scoff at that you know did you roll your eyes about salvador Perez talking about being more patient at the plate it's okay if you did you know um this man has never walked more than 22 times in a season and you know this is kind of funny but he's got 10 years in the big leagues um he's already lifetime pensioned uh and his career walk total is less than Carlos Santana's pace this season. Um, But I looked this up and what he's saying absolutely tracks with the numbers. Like he has increased uh, pitches seen per plate appearance every season since 2015. Um, that is as clear a trend as you can ever see. Um, you know, he's still below the league average there. Um, you know, like he said, he's he's always going to be aggressive, but if he can just sort of like spit on sliders in the dirt and you know uh, fastballs at his eyes, then it just makes those like really quick hands and like heavy contact that he has, it just makes that all more dangerous. And it's particularly interesting because this isn't like a work the count thing. Like he's still chasing outside the zone. And if anything, he's doing that more often, but you know, maybe I I wonder if what the numbers are showing is just exactly what he's saying, that he's finding the right moments to lay off, you know, where that that study, the numbers that he's given, um, you know, tell him this is a really bad count to swing at, just lay off. And, you know, he can remember in his brain, you know, those situations to assume a ball has come and lay off and, you know, live to to fight on the next pitch, you know? Uh, But whatever it is, he's been a more effective hitter. Um, And, you know, again, maybe this dates me, but uh, I, I was covering the team when he first arrived in the minor leagues. And I remember as much as anything, you know, just the enormous smile and, you know, just the even bigger legs. So, uh, you know, anyway, what I'm trying to say is I've seen him a long time and uh, and he'll always be playful. He'll always be a sort of like overgrown kid, but he's also matured a lot, you know? Um, he's matured like as a baseball player and as a man and, you know, just like we all hope to do as we get into our 30s, right? But um, so anyway, again, this is a good conversation, I thought. And I thought this clip highlighted uh, what I'm talking about right here.
2: Yeah, I think that, the consistent that I'm working right now, is, is better. Like try to do everything, create a routine, you know, and try to do everything. Uh, uh, uh doing the same thing every day, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's helped me. And that's going to help the player, You know, when you consistent and do something, it's going to get to the point that it's going to work. So because if I don't get hit tonight, it's like me. Okay. Tomorrow I'm going to do it. I gotta do it more and more and more and every day. So I think. I learned that too, and you
3: know, I started to, you know, to do it. What I hear you saying there is like it may be seven or eight years ago if you didn't get a hit, you'd get worried and press and all that,
2: and, and now you don't do that? Yeah, like sometimes we get, you know, frustration a little bit, you know. and like Okay, maybe today's a good day to don't do anything. Just go waiting for the game outside and here and see what happens. But I don't yeah. think it's worked that way.
0: I'm glad I asked him to clarify there because uh, I misunderstood him the first time. He's not talking about being frustrated at the plate. He's talking about, like, maybe getting too cocky, you know, feeling like, hey, I got two hits yesterday, so I'm all good. Don't need to work today. Um, I just think that's, that's a little bit of maturity, right? Like, maybe you can say you should have been doing that all the time. But um, like I said, man, we all, we all learn. We all try to get better. Um, okay, the last thing I wanted you to hear from him is this part where uh, we talked about the future and, you know, kind of how long he wants to play, the Hall of Fame, and, and a few other things. Uh, I, I just, I thought this was really interesting. So, Savannah, let, like, let's just play this all the way through, um, starting when I asked him, like, how long he can stay a catcher. And this clip is a little bit longer. We usually do about two minutes. But like I said, I, I like the passion that he had uh, with some of this. I thought this was the best part of the conversation. I think you'll get a kick out of it. Um, okay, Savannah, hit it. Hmm. The way that I feel, I
2: think we're going to play catcher to 45. 45? Yeah. The way that I feel, I feel great. It's you know, Tom and, Brady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. No, I don't. I don't know, man. That's a good question. I think God has the answer. You know, I'm yeah. gonna. i been gonna prepare myself like I always do. Uh, get ready to catch every night. Like oh, I always like to do that. You know, and, and see what happens, man. Yeah. I know, injury's gonna come. Hopefully not, but we just need to be ready. And you know, it's something we cannot control, but. If it come, we just need to be, be, be ready. That's why I need to prepare myself. So we go, we go see. I don't have. Yeah. I don't. I, I want to play to um one day, you know. But I don't. I don't. I, I know that that's not gonna happen, you know. But well, I feel good right now, so I don't know. I don't have any day or any year to. Okay. Yeah, yeah.
3: Very sober. Do you uh, do you think about the Hall of
2: Fame? 100%. I think I will play you every player they have the opportunity you know in, in, to play in big league. if you don't think to be a hard fan I think you're in the wrong sport I don't care who you are you know uh, they just need to play hard man if you got the opportunity to play every day enjoy like the last day because it's gonna happen quick you have yeah, 11 season in big league, and I feel that happened yesterday you know I feel that I started to play yesterday so it's something to close your eyes and open eyes 10 years already when you Close again, open again. It's gonna be 20 years. If you got opportunity to play 20 years, it's a blessed. But maybe 15, 17, whatever year you can play in big league. So if you don't think that you can be in the Hall of Fame, I don't think you're in the right sport. So of course I think about Hall of Fame. That's one one, one of my goals, and that's what I I, I, was gonna, I like. I like to prove, or I like to you know to, to play every day to see if I can get opportunity. You know, the, the being there one day, you never know.
3: Yeah. Um, whether it's forty five or, or whenever else you're done playing. Like, 50, 50. <laughs> Sixty, okay. <laughs> you're like Satchel page. Uh, what
1: what do you think you have to do? Like well, uh, when when you're done playing, what do you think will be a, a Hall of
2: Fame career? What I gotta do? Yeah. Uh, I don't that's another thing, I don't like to put too much pressure on myself. Do what I like what I like to do, have fun, enjoy the game and play hard. You okay. know then The number is going to come.
0: It's a wild thing, right? Like, um, you know, the Royals front office has sort of had this like soft plan about when and how to move Saloff catcher for years now and here he is he's 31 and he's catching every day on a long-term extension he's talking about staying at the position until he's 45 like Tom Brady um, and then he just gets silly with the with the 60 stuff so um, anyway whatever it's worth Carlton Fisk and Bob Boone are the only guys who've ever caught at least 100 games of catcher into their 40s. Um, Fisk did it at 42 and again at 43. He made an all-star team that year and it wasn't just sentiment. The guy had a bonkers career. Um, And Carlton Fisk retired at 45. So I don't know, maybe that's a template for Perez. Who knows? Um, You know, it's worth at least noting here, uh, you know, Fisk had some injuries in his twenties, just like Perez. Uh, he was a bigger guy who, you know, a lot of people said wouldn't be able to stay a catcher long. So, um, anyway, I just thought that stuff was interesting, and and I thought you guys might get some from it. I appreciate Salvi for taking the time to talk, and I hope you check out the column because there's a lot more in there, including a treatment method that he does twice a day. I've never heard him talk about this before, but a treatment method he does twice a day that he believes keeps him in the lineup um, and that I believe sounds like torture, (laughs) by the way. But um, okay, that's the show. I appreciate you all for listening. I hope we're worth your time. One more time, please reach out to me if you can help support us with the Sports Pass. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thanks to everybody who called in, even those we couldn't get to. Big thanks to Savannah Smith for putting this all together. And as always, the biggest thanks to you for giving us your time and letting us be a small part of your life. Reminder, uh, we're going to be off next week. Savannah and I are both actually, uh, on vacation. So I am going to murder every walleye in the state of Minnesota. That's my plan. I don't know what Savannah's doing. Um, but anyway, we'll be back after that. Okay guys. Uh, have a great weekend. Be kind.